reading is headed, The Death of David. David, son of Jesse, was king over all Israel. He ruled over Israel 40 years, seven in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth and honour. His son Solomon succeeded him as king. As for the events of King David's reign, from beginning to end, they are written in the records of Samuel the seer, the records of Nathan the prophet, and the records of Gad the seer, together with the details of his reign and power and the circumstances that surrounded him and Israel and the kingdoms of all the other lands. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shirley. I'm actually not going to preach on that passage. But it's the end, which is where I wanted to get to. I'm actually going to be looking at uh, chapter 28 and uh, 29, but except for that last bit of uh, 1 Chronicles. So keep your Bible open, if you would, at 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the journey that we've been on and continue to be on studying the life of David. Help us to understand today what you want us to learn and to know from your word and to become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray today. Amen. Well, we've been studying the life of David for some 24 weeks, which is long enough to grow a beard. <laughs> we watched the boy become a man in this story of David. We've watched the shepherd become a king. We followed David across the high mountain peaks of success and also into the deep valleys of defeat. We've seen him when he gleams with the glory of righteousness. We've seen that glory tarnished by sin. We've watched David as he enjoyed the blessings of God. And we've watched as he endured the consequences of his sin. But fascinatingly, as we've looked at the life of David, we've been really challenged because there are so many parallels between the life of King David and our own seemingly mundane journeys. And in this text, which Shirley read for us this morning, we find David at the end of the trail, uh, as far as his life is concerned. He's now about 70 years of age. He's reigned as king for 40 years, and he's about to pass the torch on to the next generation. But before he does so, he has some last words for those who are gathered around him. If you'd like to open up your Bible to first, chapter, first book of Chronicles, chapter 28, David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, and the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. So David has gathered his court around him. They're all there. And he has some last words for them. And it's interesting, as we read these last words, we can see that what's occupying his thoughts as he reaches the end of his life. And this is really a story about having a dignified ending. I thought, now what a great sermon that would be for Doyleson Baptist Church. And for me, how are we going to have a dignified ending? I'd like to end in a dignified fashion, wouldn't you? Well, there's some characteristics that mark out the life of David, which should also mark out our own lives and also mark out our own ending. 
So I'd like to talk a little bit about endings today. Second Chronicles 28, verses 2 oh, to 4, let's say. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. It's interesting. As David comes to the end of his journey, he has in mind a dream, a wonderful dream that he had. But the dream wasn't fulfilled. David wanted to build a temple for God. But God says, no, it's not for you to build the temple. This is going to be for your son to do that work. What an incredible disappointment that must have been for David because his heart was filled with passion for God. He just wanted to serve God. He wanted to do the right thing for God. And it was a disappointment that must have lingered to the day of his death because this is kind of his last big speech. But what fascinates me as I read this passage was this, this no from God didn't derail David whatsoever. David had gathered all the necessary materials to build the temple so that Solomon would have what he needed when the time came. So from David's own words, what we see here is we see a man who dies with an unfulfilled dream in his heart. But fascinatingly, David doesn't look back on what God did not allow him to do in anger. Instead, he looks back and he sees what God actually had allowed him to do. He tells us that God had chosen to be king. God picks to David. Let's have a look. What does he say? I'll quote his words. Might be better than me saying, hey. 2 Chronicles 28 verse 4. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be the, to be the king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader from the house of Judah. He chose my family and from my father's sons. He was pleased to make me king over all of Israel. Of all my sons, the Lord has given me many. He's chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Interesting what's going on here. He's looking back and, 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 and says, okay, God's chosen me to be king. He's picked me. I'm the youngest son from an unknown family to be the king over all the people of Israel. And God has blessed him greatly and promised to establish his kingdom forever. That's a big promise, isn't it? And David rejoices in that God has chosen his son Solomon to have a special relationship with God. So what's David doing here? Instead of focusing on what God has not done in his life, God is reflecting and he's looking back and it's all the things that God has actually done. And in doing so, he displays an attitude that we should all have, especially as the end of the days of our journey here on this earth draw closer. If we are not careful, we will come to the end of the way in a bitter condition, disappointed, disillusioned, because we didn't get to see the fulfillment of our dreams. And as we age, and this is happening for me too, you know, as I get older, this is an O birthday this year, seniors card year, as we age, it becomes clearer and clearer that there are some dreams that I'm not going to see fulfilled. So what do we do with those shattered dreams? 
We can, come, we can become bitter and say, oh, well, God said no to our dreams. Or we can look back with joy and be thankful for the things that God did bring into our lives. So I suppose it all boils down to who's got the best plan. You or God. Hey? We can sit about and around and grumble about what we didn't get, or we can thank God for what we did get. We can blame God for, for you know, the things we think we missed out on, or we can rejoice instead for the things he did bring into our lives. It's all a matter of sovereignty. Who's in charge? Who's God in your life, actually? Us or him? If we are masters of our own lives, don't blame God. You stuffed up. Not God. But if God is Lord of your life, then we can thank Him for what He has done because He brought into your life the things that were best for you. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Fascinatingly, God said that to His people when they were in exile. I was thinking about that for a moment. I thought like, Aren't we all actually in some form of an exile at the moment? Because aren't we away from the wonders of eternity? The very presence of Jesus himself in the throne. We can come and go there spiritually, prayerfully, but physically we're away. So we're all kind of stuck in this exile. And yet God is saying, I've got a plan for you. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a future. So what kind of shattered dreams are you looking back on today? Maybe you wanted more from your marriage. Maybe you wanted your children to accomplish certain things. Maybe you wanted to achieve some goals in your life. Maybe you're disappointed that you lack a financial success. Maybe you want to succeed in some kind of ministry. Maybe you had big plans and goals in life, but, but none of them have been achieved. And now you recognize, I don't think they're going to be achieved. What does it do to you? How does it make you feel? Are you content with the things that the Lord has brought into your life? Or are you bitter that things haven't turned out the way you planned them? Brothers and sisters, I, can, I think that the best thing that we can do with a past and broken dreams is let them go. Honestly, let them go. Thank God for what he's brought to you and what he's done in your life, and learn that lesson of contentment. Oh, the Apostle Paul wrote some wonderful words. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, listen to what he says. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, but I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whether your house burns down yeah, in the bushfire or whatever, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul had learned that lesson of being content. Now, I'm sure the Apostle Paul had never actually dreamt in the beginning that he was going to die the way he was going to die, but he allowed the Lord to have his way. Are you going to allow the Lord to have your way? Am I going to allow the Lord to have his way? Well, let's go back to David again. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. David turns his focus. He's, he's talked about what God has done. 
And then uh, oh, from verse 9, he, he changes his focus and he, and he talks to Solomon. He says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. My goodness, I can't understand my motives. How about you? I'm a can of worms in there, but God understands. He says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. There's an incredible warning. So David is now speaking to Solomon and he recognizes that this, this young man who's standing before him is about to shoulder an awesome responsibility. He's untried, he's untested, and he's about to become the king of Israel. He's about to take the reins of the nation and David knows that he's going to need a few words of instruction. So he speaks to Solomon on two levels. First of all, he talks about his relationship with God. He challenges Solomon to know God, to serve God, to seek God. He knows that if Solomon is going to be the kind of king he needs to be, he needs to have an intimate relationship with God. He cautions him to keep his heart and his thought life pure. David wants Solomon to be a saved man, to be a serving man, to be a seeking man, and to be sold out for God. Shouldn't we be the same? And David is speaking these words to Solomon. He's speaking from experience because he knows the blessing of walking with God and he also knows about the pain of turning away from God. So he challenges Solomon, stay close to God, stay clean. Aren't they the kind of traits you want to see in your children too? Now, I'd like David to come and talk to my kids sometimes. Hey, pay attention. We should be striving to instill these same kinds of things into our own, these characteristics into our own children as they grow and as they mature. mature. And if, if I can see my children fulfill these kind of words that David says to Solomon, oh, I'd be a blessed man. So David talks to Solomon about his relationship with God. And he also talks to Solomon about his reign over the people. Look at verses uh, 10 and following. Oh, let's move along. Talk. It says, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. And then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its building, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, the place of atonement. He gave him the plans for all that the Spirit had put in his mind, for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. And he goes on instructing, instructing away. So what David is doing is giving to Solomon plans and materials to construct the temple. And he challenges Solomon to, to get on the job and to do it right. And he speaks of the pressures and the, the doubts that come along when, when, when you take on the title of king. And he reminds Solomon that no matter what the future holds, he can count on the Lord's presence. And he can count on the Lord's promises. And he can count on the Lord's power to help him make it through. That's a wonderful thing to give to your son, to give to your child, isn't it? This is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to make it in life. Depend on God. When I was reading those words, I was thinking about my life and, and my reactions to situations. And I thought like, oh, we've got to be so careful, so careful that we don't fill our children's heads with our own doubts and fears and prejudices and worries and all that sort of stuff. They don't need that. They've got enough of their own. We need to teach them not to fret, not to worry. We need to see how they can be trusting the Lord in faith. They need to know that God will never leave them nor forsake them. 
They need to know that God will guide their steps. They need to know that God will bring them safely through this life. Much of what our children know about God, they learn from their parents. And that puts a big responsibility on our shoulders. Not just for our children, but our grandchildren and great-grandchildren when they see us. They need to know that we are a people of prayer, that we are people who don't worry about things. We just take that burden off. We place it at the Lord's feet and we leave it right there for him to deal with. He's God. We're not. We depend on him. That's what David is saying to Solomon. He's talking about these things to his son. Well, David goes on. Let's move on to chapter 28, 29. I'm going to skip, skip a bit as we go. Chapter 29, verse 1. King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colours, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I've now given, I give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the building, for gold work and the silver work, for all the work done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? What David is saying here, he's talking about reliance upon God. He's challenging. He's challenging the people of Israel to give to the work of God, to give to the work of the temple. And they do so willingly. When they do, David lifts his voice in a prayer of faith and thanksgiving to God. It was interesting. I got out my calculator and I thought, what, how much did they actually give? How am I going to work this out? Well, I thought, I'll just do this, the gold bit. Okay, because gold, I can work out the price really quickly on the internet. Gold's worth $71 a gram. That's $71,000 a kilo for gold, okay? David, he gave about <laughs> 71 million dollars worth of gold from his personal treasures so I thought well how much did the people give I didn't know how many people there were in Israel at the time but the best thing I could work out was David did a census of the fighting men and there are about 1.3 million of fighting men age okay so that implies a population of about 5 million roughly give or take a few I worked out what did the people give when they gave, for, gave an offering to the gold. They gave $12 billion worth of gold. That's a lot. That's $2,400 per person. <laughs> or roughly $9,500 per family worth of gold given to the work. <laughs> Is that a week? <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> They were rich, but not that rich. You know, it was, it's interesting. Uh, we had a deacon's meeting a little while ago, and we were looking at the graph of the offerings and all that sort of stuff, and it was suggested maybe I should preach a sermon on giving and all this sort of thing. I'm really reluctant to do that because I'm one of the chief beneficiaries of your giving. But if I was to preach a sermon on giving, I'd say this one would be a really good one to give. You know, The people of Israel were fully committed to the work of God. 
And they said, we have resources and we will give to the utmost. How much should you and I give? Everything we possibly can give to the work of the kingdom, including giving yourself. That's the most important thing you can give. I'm not worried about the finances. I'm worried about the state of our spirits. Because the state of our spirit will dictate what happens to our finances. If we spiritually get right, if we give ourselves to the work of God, then the finances will take care of itself. We don't have to worry about that sort of thing. It's the state of our spirit that's important. And we see here from the way that David gave and the way that the people gave after that, because they gave around about <laughs> 240 metric tons of gold. <laughs> that's a lot of gold, right? A lot of silver. 170, sorry, 170 metric tons of, of gold and 240 metric tons of, of silver. That's a lot of that stuff. There's a huge value in all of this. They gave. They were blessed by God and they gave back to God. And wonderfully, as David ends the, the end of the road, he, he, he talks about God being faithful and he says, I'm giving. And then the people say, yes, we'll give as well. And they give a huge amount. And David gets to the end of the road. And then in verse 10, he has a wonderful prayer. In the presence of the whole assembly, he goes like this. He goes, says, praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So here at the end of the road, what's David doing? He's praising God. May each one of us reach the end of the road and praise God for his goodness, for his greatness, and for his glory. David still has a sweet spirit, even at the end. He's able to praise God for his grace and his blessings and his power. He goes on. He says, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So David is, is still amazed that the Lord has done things for him because he goes on. But he says, but who am I? Who am I? You know, the richest man in Israel and the king and all that stuff. He says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given only, we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O oh Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart, and you are pleased with integrity. With all these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. That's amazing. As, as, as David sets forward this incredible example, he's praying and he's thanking God and he's praying for the people and he's blessing the people and he's thankful for those people. And he also prays for others. Look at verse 19. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. So even at the very end, David is praying for other people. He's praying for his son. He's praying for the, the community at large. Brothers and sisters, what I see here for us is that the end is not the time for us to give up on the spiritual disciplines. It's not a time to stop praying. The end of life is best spent 
praying, seeking the Lord, praising the Lord, calling on the Lord on behalf of others. The end of, the li of life is a time to draw close to God because far too many people have, have the attitude that, that they have what they have by their own power and efforts. And David is saying, look, I can give and you can give. Why? Because God has given to us in the first place. I did it my way. It was never going to be played at any of their funerals. And I hear that way too often when I go to conduct funerals. It frightens me, that song, because the moment someone starts thinking, singing, I did it my way, I know you're headed to hell. Because you're not depending on God. We need to learn to lean on God. I pray that the Lord will help me reach the end of my way, rejoicing in his blessings, thankful for his grace and leaning on his arms. Because let's face it, before the Lord found me and rescued me, I was headed the other, to the other place. Yeah? I wasn't going to heaven, I was going somewhere else. And he saved me by his grace and he blessed me in ways that, that defy belief. When I look back at what I have in my life and the people whom I'm blessed with, the most beautiful wife I've ever seen, wonderful children, how blessed am I? Grandchildren, all the things that I possess, all the stuff I can use, God's given it to me. I never want to get to the place where I take credit for who I am and what I've achieved. I want to stay tender. I want to stay dependent upon the Lord. How about you? That's the way we ought to be. As David speaks, it was a, it was a wonderful time of rejoicing. And, and, and David concludes his life not with sadness but with rejoicing. And he leads the congregation in offering worship and praise to the Lord. And they celebrate a whole they celebrate his life. They rejoice in their old king and they rejoice in the new king who's coming. David doesn't go out with a whimper. David goes out with a bang. He leaves life praising the Lord. The end of life should not be a sad time. I think it's going to be possible for us, as I look at David, it's going to be possible for us to leave this planet on a high note with a life that's been well lived. When you come to the end of the road, still close to the Lord, still clinging to the Lord and still calling on the Lord, there's no reason for sadness but rejoicing, isn't there? Now look, I know we always mourn the loss of our loved ones. I understand that. It's right and it's proper because they're going to be missed. However, when we mourn, we do so for ourselves because we know we're going to miss them. They were special to us. But if they knew the Lord... We can rejoice because we know exactly where they are. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. He says, we are confident, confident, I say, and would rather, would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Where do Christians go when they die? They're at home with the Lord. A couple of weeks back, I had some Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on my door. Said, oh, yeah. I thought, oh, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, where do you go when you die? What's it say in the Bible? They had some obscure Old Testament verse. I said, man, what are you reading that for? Look at the New Testament for a second. Let's go see what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord. Where do you reckon I'm going? I'm going to be present with the Lord. You might be dead as a dog and stay in the ground, mate, but I'm going to be with God. Who do you want to serve? Who do you want to worship? And they go away. Because I was getting a bit excited. For those that are in heaven, listen to what God's going to do. It says, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Praise God. That's coming. We've got that to look forward to. That's our hope. That's coming for each one of us. Brothers and sisters, as I read this passage, as I come to the end of the journey of David, I see a dying man who's rejoicing. David seems to have no fear regarding his impending death. He doesn't seem to be upset by the fact that his earthly journey is about over. And why is that? Because he knows the Lord. He knows God and he knows where he's going. And that kind of knowledge should give each one of us great comfort. It always bothers me when I see a person who's afraid of death. The process of dying, yeah, I've got some problems with that too. But death, no. Because it makes me wonder where they stand with, with God. The believer who, who knows God knows that God has promised to bring his children safely home to the end. Paul puts it this way. He says, I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. The end of the road doesn't have to be a time of dread. It should be a time of rejoicing. Can you see the end drawing ever closer? How are you going to meet that day? Will you face it with dread and fear? Or will you be like David, able to rejoice even in the day of your death? With the death of David, an era came to an end. But the lessons that we can learn from David's life, they speak to us today. As we consider the end of David's life, let's also consider the end of our own lives. How do you want to finish the race? Like David, I want to finish strong. I want to end up remembering God's blessings, carrying out my responsibilities, relying on the Lord and rejoicing in Him. I want to finish like the Apostle Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me that day, and not only to me, but to, to all of them that love his appearing. Is that you? Are you hanging out for the appearing of Jesus? Because when Jesus comes back, that's when he's going to give us that crown of righteousness. And remember, righteousness is right standing with God. It's not your righteousness. He's going to give you the crown of his righteousness. That belongs to each one of us. So as I bring this message to a conclusion this morning, I want to ask you, are there some areas in your life that need adjustment? Because now is the time to deal with them. Are there some broken dreams? Well, maybe now is the time to just surrender them to God. Be free. Are there some responsibilities you need to fulfill? Get to the task. Are you relying on the Lord as you should? Are you rejoicing as the end of life gets closer? If the Lord's spoken to your heart today, Hear his voice. Deal with the issues. Deal with it in prayer. And move onwards from this place free. Let's pray. Father, what a journey this has been with David. And what a joy it has been to walk beside him, the ups and the downs, and to see reflected our own lives. And Father, today as we look at David's ending we think of our own when we recognize that the sand is running out of the hourglass for each one of us we all got one-way tickets no matter what age we are 
So help us, Lord, to reflect back and have an accurate picture of our lives, to see how you have blessed each one of us, even when the roads seem to be tough at times. You promised you would never leave us nor forsake us. Help us, Father, to be relating to you well in these last days and to be helping other people into that same relationship. Help us to rely upon you, Lord, and to rejoice in your incredible goodness. And Father, for those that are struggling right now, I ask for your special blessing for them. To be able to let the past go. To know the healing that comes of being in your presence. To feel your hand upon their heads. Knowing that we are your children. That you do love us. That you do have a plan. That you give us hope. We have a future. May we rejoice in that. For your glory we pray. In Jesus' name.